And these each have their own particular emphases that God is, is seeking to communicate his attributes, his power, his majesty, his personal covenant-making uh, inclinations. And so all of these names that we're talking about, each one communicate different truths to us. Tonight, we turn our attention to the name Jehovah Sabaoth, or Lord of Hosts in our English translations. So several times tonight, both in, in our singing and in our reading of the scriptures, we have this term, Lord of Hosts. It is the, the name Jehovah Sabaoth. It is not the name Jehovah Sabbatismos. When I first saw this name, I thought it meant Lord of the Sabbath. It sounds that way. But this is Lord of Host. Sabaoth is the Lord of Host, an army, a gathering of individuals. Now, this is not a name that we are entirely unfamiliar with. As a matter of fact, we sing about it every time we sing number 92 in our hymnals. So every time we sing, a mighty fortress is our God. We sing in verse 2, did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Thus ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth is his name. This is the way Luther saw God. We are singing about the Lord Sabaoth from age to age the same. And this very significant phrase, and he must win the battle. When we sing, when we read this name, Lord Sabaoth, it is Christ Jesus. It is the man of God's own choosing, and he must win the battle. Now, there are several unique elements when we put this name alongside of Elohim and Jehovah, this name Jehovah Sabaoth is distinctive in a number of ways. Number one, by the frequency, or we could say the lack of frequency of its use. Remember, Elohim is used over 2,000 times in the Old Testament. Jehovah was used almost 7,000 times in the Old Testament. Jehovah Sabaoth. Is used less than 200 times. And we'll see perhaps part of the reason for the lack of frequency. Secondly, we need to understand the time period in which this name occurs. It does not occur in any of the early writings or in the early history of God's people, in the history of the world. 
We do not find it in any of the five books of Moses. We do not find it in Joshua or Judges or Job or Proverbs. So many of these early writings, we do not see it. This name, Jehovah Sabaoth, does not appear until the days of Samuel and the prophets. But what really sets this name apart, what makes this name special, is a third distinctive, and that is the circumstances under which it is used. Jehovah Sabaoth is only used in the most drastic and desperate times. It is used during those times of extraordinary, exceptional difficulty, deep sorrow, or exceptional danger. And they are times when the children of God find themselves in a situation where no one else can help them except God. There are times when there is no one, no other source of strength or comfort or hope. And it's in those situations that the children of God call upon the name Jehovah Sabaoth. We're going to look at three particulars. First, the works, uh, words of Hannah in her prayer in 1 Samuel 1. Secondly, we'll look at David and Goliath. And then lastly, and a little bit differently, we're going to look at the host of whom Christ is Lord. The Lord of hosts. Who, who are the host? And we'll talk about that in our final example with Hezekiah in 2 Kings 19. So first, Jehovah Sabaoth was a source of comfort for Hannah, but not just Hannah, for all who are in a time of affliction, deep affliction. Now, most of you, I would expect, are quite familiar with the story of Hannah. Some of you may even feel more keenly the pain that this woman was experiencing. She desperately wanted children. This was a day when children were regarded as the quintessential blessing by God upon his people. This woman desperately wanted a child, but the Lord had not blessed her in that way. And she was in pain. But on top of her personal pain, there was this constant taunting by the second wife, Benina. And she is constantly rubbing salt in the wound, if you will. Every opportunity she is taking to, to rub it in that Hannah doesn't have children, but she does. And so here is this woman. Hannah's situation is one of 
unspeakable grief and sorrow. Just look at the way that verse 10 in our text, 1 Samuel 1 and verse 10 describes her. She was in bitterness of soul. ESV says, deeply distressed. And she was weeping. She was weeping profusely. And she prayed to the Lord and she wept. And she was in anguish. My friends, these are all vivid terms designed to communicate to us. This was no ordinary affliction. This was not a day-to-day troublesome or inconvenient situation. This woman's heart is broken. She's weeping. She's in anguish. She's in deep distress. Now, my friends, there can be no question. This was not an ordinary time of difficulty. Hannah is in deep personal pain and sorrow. But that's not all. The fact was, there was no one, absolutely no one, that could help her in this situation. There was no one who could offer her comfort or hope or help. Elkanah did what he could. He gave her extra portions when it came time to make a sacrifice. He loved her. But he couldn't change this affliction. He couldn't alter the situation. No one else could help her. Now listen. We may never be in this situation. In this particular problem, facing this particular uh, affliction. But my friends, there are a lot of things out there that can cause deep personal pain. And sooner or later, if you're not there now, sooner or later you will be. We're all going to face circumstances and situations of severe affliction. And what this woman does next in her distress was of an astounding help to her. And if we learn the same lesson, it will be of astounding help to us, to everyone in a similar affliction. So what does she do? Well, very simply, if we just reading the passage, we would say she prayed. She prayed to the Lord. But she does more than just pray. In this particular affliction, she calls out to Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. She is the first one to use this language about God. She sees God. She knows God. And she recognizes he is the Lord of hosts. And she puts her hope 
and her trust in Jehovah Sabaoth. And the effects upon her own soul are profound. Because here is this woman who's in pain, who's in deep sorrow, who is weeping, who is deeply distressed. And then in verse 18, after she calls on the name of Jehovah Sabaoth, we read, she went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. Hannah left that place of worship a changed woman. And my friends, when we in faith come and call upon Jehovah Sabaoth, it will change us. We will find hope. We will find comfort. We will find peace. At this point, Hannah could have written verse 2 of a mighty fortress is our God. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Just ask who that might be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth is his name, and he must win the battle. I don't know what kind of battle you're in tonight, but I know this. Lord Sabaoth will win that battle, and we, like Hannah, Pray to him. Use this name in your prayers and recognize, realize who God is that he is on your side and he will win the battle. So we see Jehovah Sabaoth as a source of comfort for Hannah and for all who are in deep affliction. Secondly, Turn over to chapter 17, chapter 17, 1 Samuel 17, Jehovah Sabaoth, a source of courage for David and for all who are assaulted and assailed by the enemy. Now this second example of one whose life was changed forever by calling and trusting in Jehovah Sabaoth. We, we are even more familiar with this particular account of David and Goliath. Now, we're not going to read the, the whole episode. We're focusing on what David says in 45. But, but being familiar with the text, let me just highlight some of the particulars. Here, David finds himself in no ordinary problem or everyday difficulty. Now, most of us know the details. We're talking about David, the youngest son of Jesse, seven other brothers. He is the youngest. He is a young shepherd boy, probably in his mid to late teens, 
So all you have to do is look around. You may see one of those mid to late teens sitting next to you or in front of you or just behind you. We know what young teenage boys look like. He would have been physically fit because of his job of keeping sheep, but he was not any soldier. He had never been trained to fight. He did not have martial arts training. He had no shield. He didn't have a bulletproof vest. He had no weapons of war. He did have a few rocks and a sling, but that was it. So here was this young teenage boy. And then there was Goliath. Now, for those of you who noticed earlier, I was walking around, reaching up on the walls, trying to estimate the height here. Goliath was approximately nine and a half feet tall. This guy would make Shaquille O'Neal look like a pygmy. This guy would have been approximately the height of that panel on the wall on the bottom from there down. Nine and a half feet tall. Clothed from head to foot with armor. And then he had a spear. And the shaft of that spear would have resembled a 12 foot 4 by 4 which he toted around with ease. The head of the spear was 18 pounds of sharpened steel. Now, my friends, I've got a 15-pound wedge used for splitting wood, and it's all I can do to swing the thing. This, just the head of the spear was 18 pounds. So if we had seen this young boy alongside of this giant with all his weaponry and his protection, we would have just said, I I can't watch this. This is not going to be pretty. This is not going to end well. And yet, David, against unparalleled opposition, goes against Goliath with the most extraordinary confidence and courage, and we stand in dismay and say, how? How could he do that? Just the sight of this giant was making the entire Israelite army cower and tremble in their boots. How could this young teenage boy 
without any training, without any weapons, go against this Goliath? Well, the answer is largely uh, in verse 45. When David goes out to this Philistine, he says in 1 Samuel 17, 45, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. I come to you in the name of Jehovah Sabbath. There's no one like him. There's no one strong like he is strong. Here's here's the contrast. Goliath was trusting in his own strength. He was trusting in his armor. He was trusting in his weapons. But David, David was trusting in Jehovah Sabaoth the name of the Lord of hosts. He was not leaning upon his own strength or his own wisdom or his own cunning. He was leaning upon the everlasting arms of Jehovah Sabaoth. My friends, that sounds so simple, doesn't it? And yet, how many times do we find ourselves being assaulted and assailed and we think this is the way to do it? We think we must have this. We must have the support. We must have the encouragement of others. We must have a plan. Lean not upon your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. That's what David was doing. You and I, again, you and I will probably never ever face a giant in hand-to-hand combat. But my friends, every single one of us Every single one of us will have our Goliath. We will have spiritual opposition that far exceeds any opportunity or ability to defeat it. There are going to be times in every single one of our lives when we're going to face spiritual opposition opposition and you know how the apostle Paul describes this in Ephesians 6 when he writes and says in verse 10 finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wilds of the devil here's the problem We are going to wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we are going to wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness 
We are going to wrestle and fight with spiritual host of wickedness in the invisible realm. There are going to be assaults. The fiery darts of the devil are going to strike you. There are going to be violent temptations calling on you to sin against God's holy law. There are going to be times when you are are tempted to doubt the promises of God's word. There are going to be times when you are afraid like all the rest of Israelite army. You're going to fear and far more subtle but just as deadly. There are going to be times when Satan seeks to lure you and cause you to neglect your relationship with Christ. Just get you very involved, business, Activities, sports, we could go on and on and on. There will be times. My friends, don't misunderstand this. This is a frontal assault by the the principalities and powers of the wicked one. Seeking to draw you away, to make you tremble, to cause you to doubt, or to lead you into open sin. When that happens, I did not say if, because it's not if. When that happens, we, like Hannah, need to pray to Jehovah Sabaoth and in faith to look to him, the Lord of hosts, and depend upon him because in him and in him alone will we be able to find comfort and peace and hope? And like David, like David, when he faced Goliath, brothers and sisters, young people, start learning now. Read, pray, study your enemy. Know his tactics Thomas Brooks' work, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, is unparalleled in helping us to know the the tactics of our enemy. But like David, we need to put on the armor of God. And we need to go forth in the name of Jehovah Sabaoth. We need to be strong. We need to take courage. We need, as the old King James said, quit yourselves like men and prepare for battle. This is not a walk in the park. This is battle. This is war. And we need to clothe ourselves in the armor of Jehovah Sabaoth. Face your enemy and stand and Fight for the glory of our God. Lastly, Jehovah Sabaoth, a source of conquest, 
for Hezekiah and for all who are in distress. Now, Second Kings, Second Kings, and chapter nineteen. Again, we don't need to read the entirety of the passage. We can summarize it rather quickly. In the previous examples, we've talked about comfort and courage, which an intimate knowledge of Jehovah Sabaoth will bring into our lives. But in this final point, I want to look at the other side of the coin, so to speak. I want us to think about who are these hosts? The Lord of hosts. Well, who are the hosts? What is the army that the Lord is captain of? Well, there's a a, a wonderful scene. We're not going to take time to turn there. But Joshua chapter 5. Joshua has crossed over the Jordan. They are getting ready to attack or walk around Jericho according to God's instructions. And the night before, they're camped across and, and from Jericho. And Joshua walks out and there is a man standing with his sword drawn. And Joshua's not sure what that means. So he says, are you for us or for our enemies? And the man says, neither. As commander of the Lord's host, I have come. At that moment, Joshua realizes he's not dealing with an ordinary man. I don't think there can be any question. Joshua falls on his face and worships. And the man doesn't say, don't do that. Like every other angel, that man was a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was there as the commander of the Lord's army. So who is this army? Who is it that makes up the army of the Lord. Well, the short answer is a multitude of heavenly beings. It would include seraphim, cherubim, the living creatures in the book of Revelation that are full of eyes within and without. It would largely include all the angels. Now, sometimes God uses many angels when the task at hand requires it. So remember Elisha and his servant surrounded by the Syrians and and the servant says, what are we going to do? Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes because more are for us than are for them. And the servant opens his eyes and he sees the whole mountain covered with chariots and horses of fire. What a sight that must have been. Or we have Revelation 4 and 5 where thousands upon thousands of hosts are gathered together. Sometimes God only needs one, one angel to do the work. So again in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 21 when he's praying... All of a sudden, he looks up, and there, he says, was the man Gabriel. Gabriel was an angel. 
but just one. But he said, the moment you started praying, the command was given. And I flew quickly to reach you by the time of the evening sacrifice. That one angel was all that was needed. And that's exactly what happens here in 2 Kings 19. Hezekiah is surrounded. He's surrounded by the Assyrian army. 185,000 of them, to be precise. There's no hope. There's no source of help. Sennacherib is is telling Hezekiah, look, don't, don't have false notions here. Every single nation who has resisted our power has been crushed to powder. There's no place to turn for help. No one is going to help you. You have no hope. You must surrender to us. My friends, as, as a king, that was a pretty distressing situation. Not your average situation. But God sends the prophet Isaiah and says, Hezekiah, Don't be afraid. Do not fear. The king of the Assyrians will not come into this city. He will not shoot a single arrow here. The zeal of Jehovah Sabaoth will accomplish this. And so... What happens in verse 35? It came to pass on a certain night that an angel of the Lord went out. Just one. One angel went out that night and killed 185,000 enemies of God and of God's people. So when the people rose up in the morning, they were all dead. Now, brothers and sisters, just just let that sink in. Just one, one individual of the Lord's host could take care of the entire Assyrian army. 185,000 warriors. It wasn't too hard for him. It wasn't too difficult for him. And no situation that you were in is too difficult for God. The Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth, just one angel is all he needs. To turn the world upside down. That is what we see taking place here. Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, who commands thousands upon thousands of angels and seraphs and cherubim. I think Psalm 89 and verses 7 and 8 are very helpful for us as we close tonight. Psalm 89, 
reflecting upon the strength and the glory and the power of God. Listen to verse 7 and 8. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. O Lord God of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth, who is mighty like you, O Lord. My friends, there is no one like our God, like Jehovah Sabaoth, like the Lord of hosts. Put your trust in him. We're not the right man on our side. Our striving would be losing. Dost ask who that might be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth is his name. And he must win the battle. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, who indeed is like you, O Lord of hosts, strong and mighty, mighty in battle. The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. Oh, Lord, would you move us to worship you tonight and all our days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.